When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello everyone and welcome along to this episode of La Liga Lowdown, also rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. I'm your host, Jim Mateer, and we've got a packed show coming up with six different guests. We'll be recapping everything that went on in match day 35 of the La Liga season, with things really heating up now. It all got a little too hot for Espanyol to handle this midweek, as their relegation to the second division was confirmed. And to make it sting even more... It was confirmed with a 1-0 defeat to their biggest rivals, Barcelona. Let's bring in Roman de Arquer, our expert from the Catalan capital. So Barcelona win and Espanyol lose the game and their top flight status. How devastating is this first relegation in 27 years for Espanyol? Well, I mean, it's no surprise that the Espanyol fans are heartbroken right now with this situation. Um, they're a team used to being in the best uh, league in the world, in La Liga, you know. And suddenly, after so many years, they're going to go uh, back down. And let's not forget about the younger fans, you know, that have never experienced seeing their side in Segunda División. For them, it's going to be even harder to realize this has actually happened. And also, it has to be said, Espanyol at the beginning of the season had really high hopes. Uh, they had a decent team. They're going to play in European competitions. And this season was uh, supposed to help them uh, develop that project to improve as a team and to become a regular side uh, fighting for Europe. But the complete opposite happened. So it's definitely going to be uh, very sad and very hard for them to go through this moment. And was it much more painful for Espanyol to be relegated at the camp now? Oh, definitely. I mean, if Espanol fans could choose a worst case scenario to avoid, I'm sure being relegated by Barcelona at the Camp Nou would be uh, one of those. And um, it's a rivalry that's been going on for so many years. It's two teams that uh, kind of hate each other, we could say, especially big parts or big chunks of fan bases of each side uh, can't really stand each other. And as a matter of fact, a lot of culés went to celebrate uh, Espanol's relegation at Canaletas. That's where Barca usually celebrate their trophies. So this just comes to prove how intense this rivalry can be. And I'm sure if it was the other way around, Barca being relegated, Espanol fans would probably be celebrating in the same way. So... It's definitely a big blow for Espanyol to get relegated in this way. You mentioned before that some young Espanyol fans have never seen their team outside the top division. So will they be back up soon? Can they do what Betis have done a couple of times and bounce straight back up? Or might they get stuck there like Real Zaragoza? 
Well, the good news is that every time Espanyol has been relegated to Segunda División, the next season they've always returned immediately to Primera. And that's happened in four occasions. So, I mean, that's a positive thing to look into. And then also, um, they have a good squad at the moment. I'm sure they're going to lose some players, but if they can keep some key uh, components for next season and build up on that, uh, things will be easier. And also, they're still going to have the financial backup of their Chinese president, Chen Yangsheng. I'm sure he's going to do whatever it takes to make sure Espanol return so uh, I think Espanol should be positive in that sense and believe they can return because uh, things will look much better next year for them Moving on to Barcelona Key said the end even admitted afterwards that it was not a good performance what happened because they'd been so good versus Villarreal a few days previously well, I think one of the reasons Barca played so well against Villarreal is because the Yellow Submarine is way more attack-minded than, for example, Espanyol or other teams Barca have dropped points against. And let's not forget that Villarreal have been one of the best sides since returning from the break, and before playing Barcelona, their confidence was at its peak, you know. And I'm sure Calleja thought that playing their usual football and seeing how Barca weren't doing uh, great, they could possibly beat them uh, in a head-to-head game, you know. But uh, the truth is that that was possibly their mistake because Barca found so many spaces and counter-attacks and they were basically facing Villarreal's back line of four in all the attacking positions because the midfield was barely arriving on time to help so that just eased Barcelona's way through that game whereas against Espanyol you know we saw how they were quite closed at the back they were looking for counter-attacks and when a team closes itself against Barcelona this season Barca are just incapable of finding the spaces incapable of uh, deciphering how to score goals so that's why Barca I think struggles so much against teams that are more defensive-minded Setien even brought on a centre-back in Ronald Araujo for a midfielder in Ivan Rakitic for the final few moments. This isn't the kind of attacking and brave football he promised, is it? Well, I mean, that was a particular situation of the game and uh, just winning 1-0, you want to make sure you get the three points. And I can understand that substitution. I mean... uh, Every single manager has done that at least once in their career, you know. And of course, it's not the ideal situation, but seeing how things were going, you were one man down, the players were quite physically tired. I think Kike Setien was just thinking of getting those three points. And I'm convinced he wants to play attacking football and do the best and, and keep playing games as Barca did against Villarreal. But that's not easy. And the other day against Espanyol, he just couldn't do that. And unfortunately, he had to bring on a defender at the end to just try and hold on to the score, which isn't great but it is what it is. I'd also go for protecting the three points, but I'm not the one preaching against negative football like he has in the past. But anyway, a quick word on the two red cards in this match. They were very clear, I thought, but they were both for two young players, Ansu Fati and Paul Lozano. Do you think they'll both be able to respond well to this, this disappointment? Well, after the game, Kike Setien said that Ansu Fati was pretty disappointed with what had happened and he wanted to say sorry to the manager that it wasn't his intention, you know. And Kike said that that might have a negative impact on him. But, I mean, you, you as a footballer, you know, you go through these situations and I'm sure he's going to get past this and he'll be back at his best uh, when he returns to, to the football field, as will Paul Lozano. But of course, Paul Lozano has to also bear the fact that his team are going down to Segunda, so he has an extra grudge to carry on with him. But hopefully both are young and they have a lot of future ahead of them and they'll get past this uh, unfortunate situation. Thanks, Roman. So on the same night where Espanyol were relegated on Wednesday, their former striker Borja Iglesias was celebrating Real Betis' survival. Betis 
put in an actually very impressive performance against Osasuna to win 3-0 and to mathematically put their place in the division for next season. Not that Borja Iglesias had too much to do with this. Uh, when he moved from Espanyol to Betis last August, he'd already scored three goals for Espanyol in Europa League qualifying. In the 11 months since then, he's only added three more for his new club. That's quite incredible. But anyway, Real Betis are safe. Espanyol, of course, are not. We will discuss the relegation battle some more later on, but let's continue with the title race just now. Given Barcelona's win, Real Madrid had to win their own matchday 35 game to maintain their four-point lead, and they did exactly that when they met Alaves on Friday night. A carrying Benzema penalty, yes, another penalty, but another correct call, got them going in the first half, and then Marco Asensio added another after the break for a 2-0 win. Let's talk to Real Madrid journalist Kian Silvani of Managing Madrid now. Kian, this was an eighth win out of eight since the restart. How surprised are even you by this amazing form? I am surprised. I had predicted that Real Madrid would win the league uh, just before that Abar game. That was the game, their first game back coming back from quarantine. I had predicted just before that that Real Madrid would win the league. Um, it wasn't so much to do with confidence. It was more of like, it, even though they were one point back, it would have been a little bit embarrassing to let the league slip against this version of Barcelona with all the resources Real Madrid had to stay fit during quarantine more so than other teams. I, you know, to be quite honest, you, you kind of can't be surprised. You know, this, these are all eight games that they should have won anyway, to be honest. And these are the games that they should have been winning in the past 11 years or so where they've only won the league twice. So surprised in the sense that this is not something they normally do in La Liga because this is why they lose the league to Barcelona so often. But not surprised in the sense that these are all games they should have won. And to drop points in those games... Um, with all the resources they had over the other clubs who just really found it hard to keep up during the pandemic and getting into shape and having squad depth. It's not surprising in that sense. They're winning a lot of these games with the defense first. Even in this Alaves game where they only had three fit first-team defenders, Real Madrid still managed a clean sheet to make it 457 minutes now without conceding. What does this tell you about the defensive structure? It's been phenomenal. I, you know, the defense, I think, is the biggest story, something that maybe we should be focusing on more because while we're talking so much about Ramdra's offense struggling a little bit and scraping by with 1-0 wins and being led in offense by a central defender, all of that is, I mean, those are all very interesting talking points, don't get me wrong, but the fact that they're defending at this level, I mean, you look at their XGA, their ex expected goals against, and... It, it's generally speaking like om almost always below 0.5 and certainly below one. This is one of the most tested games they've had defensively with Lucas Perez hitting the crossbar, getting open on a cross. Um, both Jose Lu and Lucas Perez uh, and the odd occasion Oliver Burke getting in behind. That was the most they've been tested in a long time. And, um, and, and this was also a makeshift defense with Lucas Vasquez at right back. Obviously, Carvajal, Ramos, and Marcelo not there. Not that Marcelo contributes defensively much. But um, I think all of these factors, you know, they've been able to stay in games. And even in games where Ramos is on form, Militao has stepped up, which was the case against Athletic. Their defense has held up really well. You have to give just um, a lot of, lot of credit to... Not only the collective defensive scheme that Zidane has put, but also when it breaks down, Casemiro swooping in last cha last second challenge, Courtois coming up big to kind of mask some holes. So they even have those band aids ready to go when the defense breaks. And I think you know 
all of those, including Casemiro's positioning, Fede Valverde's emergence this season as a whole, that, that has made Real Madrid's defense, from a statistical standpoint, one of the best in the club's history. You said defense is kind of the story of the club's season, but in terms of feel-good stories since the break, is it Marco Asensio's comeback? It has to be. I mean, uh, you you pointed this out, Ewan, uh, earlier to me that, you know, Asensio has now matched Bale's t- goal tally, which is a whopping two goals, and he's done it in 800 less minutes, and and he's almost on the, on the same par, on the same bar of assists for the season as Gareth Bale, which would be two assists. He already has one. So, and, and the other thing is he's also playing with a bounce. He's playing with a swagger. He's playing with confidence. He's been interchangeable on the flanks. He's shooting from distance. He's taking players on. He looks very confident. And that's just a confidence that Gareth Bale hasn't had. Not to turn everything into a Gareth Bale comparison. That's not the point. But it's just, relatively speaking, I mean, he, him coming into the lineup and playing with the same bounce he did in preseason where he looked really good is a lot, is really telling for his character, his confidence, and and just just kind of his state, his mental state coming back and getting back to the level that we were all hoping he'd be at. Thanks, Kian. Next up in the title race, Barcelona go away to Real Valladolid, while Real Madrid go away to Granada. I think this could be a banana skin for Real Madrid because Granada are just so impressive and still in the race for Europe after a thrilling win this week. They went away to Real Sociedad and things started very well for Granada. Antonio Puertas de cabeza, el remate, anticipándose en la frontal del área pequeña. Rechazo para Soldado, Soldado, Soldado. Gol, 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 gol. Granada had raced into a 2 0 lead, but then Real Sociedad mounted a comeback to equalize. Gol, 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 gol de la Real Sociedad. ¡Qué golazo de Miquel Oyarzabal! Granada had the last laugh though, with a couple of minutes remaining and with the scores locked at 2-2. They got the 3-2 win thanks to Domingos Duarte goal. That keeps Granada dreaming of becoming Euro Granada. And that brings us to the halfway point of this episode. We'll be back very soon after the break with so much more coming up just after this. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome back to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. We're recapping match day 35 and we've looked at the title race. Now let's look down the bottom at the relegation battle. Espanyol are gone. Leganes, they're second bottom and still mathematically alive. They're on 29 points, six away from safety. But their 0-0 draw at Eyburn midweek didn't help them. It was an awful game. Awful, awful, awful. And afterwards, Eyburn coach Jose Luis Bendilibart, he even said he was glad it was behind closed doors because that way nobody had had to pay for the displeasure. It was all kind of strange though, because Leganes really needed three points, yet they were even time-wasting towards the end of this game, and goalkeeper Pete Chukair was booked for time-wasting, seemingly content with a goalless draw. That's not going to help them pull off a great escape, but Real Mallorca might do it. They're currently 18th on 32 points, just three behind Alaves. Real Mallorca hosted Levante this midweek and won 2-0, with goals from Cucho and Kubo. That's fun to say, actually. Alex Fitzpatrick, he is our man on the island, and you actually watched this match with some other fans, Alex, didn't you? What was the atmosphere like? Uh, for me personally, obviously, with only six press allowed in the ground and pitch side TV provision totally stripped back, I watched it from the Mallorca Cafe in the corner of the ground, and as you would expect, it was absolutely ram-packed, both inside and out uh, within coronavirus legal limits, of course. Uh, and the atmosphere on both goals and at the final whistle it was just electric. Uh, but particularly on the second goal, the place just erupted. Social distancing seemed to go a little bit out of the window for a few people. Uh, but obviously that was the decisive goal and the point of the game that it was at as well. Uh, it became clear that the game and the three points were Mallorca's. So yeah, terrific atmosphere. That's good. I'm really glad to hear that, that fans are able to gather again responsibly at outdoor bars and enjoy a win together. It's a nice bar there right in the corner of the 
of the stadium. I remember when I came over to Mallorca early in the season and we caught a drink there after the match on a very rainy day that time. And we spoke about Kubo then because, Alex, we speak about Kubo all the time. But talk us through just how much he has improved since the restart. Since the restart, Kubo has been brilliant pretty much every single game. Uh, in truth, though, he was very much growing as the season went on and he put a couple of big performances in prior to the break uh, in a couple of away games so away to Betis away to Eibar um, getting rare points on the road for Mallorca since the break though I think you're right he has gone up a gear um, he demands the ball now he runs the game for Mallorca in that final third he drips, uh, drifts around a constant threat coming off the right-hand side and defenders are now doubling up on him. They're sensing the danger and they're making sure that they cover him well. But he still seems to have a little trick or a turn and then ability to find some space. And he's always involved in one way or another with pretty much every goal that Mallorca score. Um, of course, managing to find the back of the net himself in, in this particular game. And after he scored, he had quite a unique celebration. Could you talk us through that? Kubo, after his goal, he went across to the bench. He celebrated with the coaching staff and specifically with the goalkeeping coach, Fernando Maestro, waving the other coaching staff out of the way so that he could give a little bow to, to Maestro. And he'd, um, Kubo had promised weeks ago that when he scored, he would come and celebrate with Maestro. Uh, but he hadn't hit the back of the net since he got the winning goal in that final game before the lockdown against Eibar. Uh, Kubo actually said after the game he thought that Maestro may have forgotten the promise it had been so long. The celebration itself, though, is indicative of a player of a player who is happy and who trusts the staff that he is working with. The, the Mallorca coaching team they have a really special bond with the squad, a really special spirit around the squad that you don't see at every La Liga club. That I think comes from the fact that. Everybody's been through so much together from Segunda B all the way up to La Liga and now this battle to stay in the league. Thanks, Alex. So, Mallorca are three points behind Alaves now and four behind Eibar and Celta Vigo. We already mentioned that Eibar draw with Leganes. Celta Vigo also got a draw this week, a much more impressive one by drawing 1-1 at home to Atletico Madrid after Alvaro Morata scored 51 seconds in Celta did well to keep going and they got the equaliser thanks to Fran Beltran. So they're a point closer to safety too, but not fully safe yet. The only other team not mathematically safe yet are Real Vitalit who lost 2-1 at Valencia this week. That brought some very, very rare joy for Valencia. So let's check in on Paco Pollitt after a tough couple of weeks. How important was this victory, Paco? Well, the win was massive for Valencia for one single fact. It was a turning point between throwing the towel and drifting in the middle of the table or, on the other hand, having some sort of motivation towards the last three remaining games this season. The performance of the team is poor anyways, with only 7 points out of 24 after the league restarted in June, but Valencia's obligation is still to fight till the last minute for a European spot. In fact, looking at some stats... Valencia have only been out of Europe five times in the last 25 years and 
Two of those disappointments happened under Meriton Holdings' management. So I'm absolutely sure they won't want to add just another big failure to such an awful season as the one which is about to end. The winning goal came from Kang and Lee. I've criticised him before when he's been sent off. So let's praise him now. How good was that goal and how good can he be? The goal was obviously brilliant, not only because of the execution, but because the player just dared to try firing from far away, something which Valencia have been lacking the whole season. Their long-range shots have been almost non-existent during Celades' stint as a manager, and possibly it had more to do with the players lacking the confidence to just try and see if the ball went in or not. Kanji Lee really doesn't have that problem because he's a player who trusts his own quality. In fact, he's not really happy with the way the season has developed as he has played much less minutes than he was promised last summer. Marcelino once again was absolutely on point. Kanjin should have been renewed last summer and loaned to another mid-tier La Liga team in order to gain some experience. In the same way, Takefusa Kubo has done the same thing with Real Madrid and Mallorca. It's now late for that and we should monitor closely the developments with this player as Kanjin Lee's contract is up in 2022 and we could see the Ferran Torres drama all over again, but this time with the Korean attacker as the star of the show. It was a first first team start for left back Adria Guerrero. How did he do and what's his story? He did well, even though he felt muscle pain in the second half as the level of intensity in top flight is not the same as in Segunda B, the Spanish third division where Adria used to play this season with Valencia's B team. He's 22 years old right now and he began his career as a left back in Barca's youth academy and later made a move to Reus Deportivo when he was an under-19 player. Everyone knows by this point what happened with Reus last season, the club fizzled out into oblivion due to the club's debt, and later Guerrero signed for Valencia Mestalla in summer 2019. However, he didn't have chances to make his big debut due to the reliability of both left-backs, starter José Luis Gallá and usual sub-player Chaume Costa. With the former injured right now and the latter with physical problems, Adria's big chance came around and he lived up to the task. Not a brilliant game overall, but good enough in my view. There was also a debut and a goal for Real Vide Leeds' Victor Garcia, but he's from Valencia and is it right that he has a Levante past? Yeah, he played for a team with Levante, that word in their name, but not exactly Levante itself. I'll elaborate on that in a while. And yeah, it was crazy because minutes before the game, a friend of his, a friend of Victor Garcia, contacted me on Twitter to alert me about him being a starter and finally making his debut in the league. Um, Garcia was born in the Valencian village of Xeraco and he played for classic Valencia local club Torre Levante, which isn't Levante, we shouldn't confuse them, okay? It's a well-known... Um, youth Academy, a few kilometers away from my neighborhood. And by the way, his coach in Torre Levante was Valencia's legend, Fernando Gómez Colomer. And he later was transferred to Deportivo La Coruña's B team. And last summer, in 2019, he signed for Valladolid's B team. So having the chance of making his big break in La Liga at Mestalla against the club he's a fan of and even score for Valladolid to level the game, well, it was a brilliant day for the 23-year-old, even though his team didn't manage to pick up a single point. Okay, interesting stuff, Paco. Learning something new every day. Let's learn some more now about Hitafi, who have not had a good return to action since restart. They took on Villarreal this midweek and lost 3-1, but most of the action took place in the tunnel after the match where there was a huge brawl 
which has led to suspensions for three Hitafi players and two Villarreal players. Not good. Let's speak about Hitafi's form in general now with Hitafi fan Dom Tancock. Just one win since the restart, Dom. How surprised have you been by Hitafi's form? The form of Hetafe um, since the comeback from lockdown has surprised me, that's for sure. Especially when you look into the first four fixtures that we had. Um, Granada away, Espanyol home, Ibar home, Valladolid away. For me, that was realistically 12 points, maybe nine. Possibly a little over ambitious, um, considering coming back from lockdown and the intensity of which Getafe play. But, you know, realistically, with their European aims, um, which still seems a bit mad to be able to say that, you know, a club like Getafe for the second year running are looking to qualify for Europe. Um, but, yeah, you would have expected more points uh, from those games. Uh, Granada, I thought we looked in control first half uh, and then just stopped playing. Um, Espanyol was a really tight horrible game to watch um, and then Ibar and Valladolid both of those games for me we probably should have taken our chances and, and got more than the point that we did get from both games How do you explain the poor run of results? You know I put the poor form down to a, a collection of things really I think particularly at home having no crowd and you can argue it's the same for everyone I think at the Coliseum it's always a, it's a smaller crowd than some grounds but the crowd really have a massive part to play in the whole it's us against them uh, philosophy that Bordelas has been absolutely brilliant at and I think that makes a huge difference um, playing at home and you could argue that that was the the thing which was missing particularly in the Espanyol and Ibar games Um, I think Bordelas has been a little bit too safe Uh, a couple of the games particularly again the two draws at home with Espanyol and Ibar where, you know, Portillo's on the bench. Portillo offers us something completely different. He can thread a ball through a really tight space. And uh, instead, he's bringing on, you know, Jason or one or two of the other players, which for me is a little bit negative. It's a little bit safe. It keeps us unbeaten, but it doesn't, you know, ultimately it could cost at the end of the season. Do you feel they were hard done by by the refereeing decisions in the Villarreal game where... Villarreal were given two um, dubious decisions. I think, you know, against Villarreal in the last game, it was such a key game for both sides. Um, The VAR decisions, um, I think any Hitafe fan will tell you that VAR and Hitafe have a long history of, um, of poor decisions against Hitafe. And I think the first one the other night against Villarreal, Soraya, you know, for me, he got the ball, so it wasn't a penalty. And the second one, you know, the Villarreal player, Portillo does touch him, but it's not enough for a penalty in my view. So, yeah, VAR definitely cost us against against Villarreal. And I think, you know, we probably would have got a point from that game. They now have several suspended players for their next match, so it doesn't get any easier for Tafi. Do you, you think they can hold on and finish in the European places? I think we can. Um, It's such a key game against Alaves away uh, this weekend. We have to take three points, um, in my view. Uh, It will be hard because we've got four players suspended. Um, But after that, we've got Atletico at home, 
and Atleti under Simeone, Getafe have not even scored a goal. I think it's 15 games now. We've not even scored a goal against them, let alone uh, got a result. So that will be a really tough game. And then Levante on the last day of the season away. You know, I've got us getting four points from our last three games, um, which would take us on to 57 points. Looking at the other clubs' fixtures, the clubs behind us, I think Sociedad will pick up another four points as well. I think Valencia will pick up six points. Um, they've got Sevilla on the last day of the season, so hopefully Sevilla will beat them. Um, and it should just about be enough for us to uh, to hold on to the top seven uh, place and, uh, and another season in Europe, which, you know, for Getafe, for a club like us, is fantastic. Um, and then maybe we can have a little pop at Inter at the end of this end of the season and uh, upset some more of European giants. Thanks, Dom. Yes, it's that time of year where we look out the calculators and start working out how many points everyone's getting. Well, actually, that time of year is usually in May and now it's the middle of July, but you get the idea. Let's finish now by discussing two more teams battling for European tickets, Athletic Club and Sevilla. They met... At San Mamés this midweek, and despite Athletic Club scoring first through Ander Kappa, Sevilla came back to win 2 1 with a superb Ever Benega scoring one and setting up Munir for another. Let's speak to Athletic Club fan Benya Gutierrez. It's a defeat, Benya, but it's only been three losses for Athletic since the restart, and those losses have been against Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Sevilla, all by just one goal. That's not bad, right? Yeah, it's not bad at all. I think they've surprised some of their own fans being still on the race to reach a European spot for the next season. Athletic has been doing um, quite well since La Liga restarted. Obviously the team hasn't been particularly exciting but that's how it works with Gaetano's proposal. Their victory for example against Valencia was uh, pretty good and they've, they've also been able to recover from the emotional hit of losing a player like Aduriz, who wasn't making a difference on the field, but he was still a locker room reference. I saw this stat this week that Raul Garcia has only missed three matches all season and they've all been defeats for Athletic Club. 3-2 versus Betis, 2-1 versus Real Sociedad and now this 2-1 against Sevilla. Does this further prove how important Raul Garcia is to the team? Yeah, I think it is. Raul is currently one of the most important players for, for Garitano. I could hear people recently in Bilbao dreaming about Raul Garcia performing the Aduriz way on his 30s. And he seems to be on the right direction. I mean, at 33, he's had his highest scoring season ever. He, he's still a first competitor. And he's the kind of player who can put the team on his back. It is sad that due to the current circumstances, we cannot see him channel the energy of San Mamés the way he knows. But he fits very well on Garitano's idea. And I would say that for a team like Athletic that doesn't create a lot of scoring chances, having a player like Rulo who needs so little to score, it's a pure blessing. There's been some controversy with VAR in the past two Athletic Club games. How angry are the supporters right now? Yeah, obviously Athletic fans are upset with some of the decision refs took in the last couple of games. It's not that they are embracing any kind of conspiracy theory, it's just that they are disappointed with how VAR is working. And I think this goes 
beyond athletic fans. I think this is a frustration that is shared by a lot of fans of most of La Liga sides. The general feeling is that some refs won't make the right call even when they are assisted by technology. And seems also quite obvious that some changes should be done to VAR to improve it for following seasons, that we should learn from the mistakes and we could see how we can improve VAR. Thank you, Benya, for the insight there. And thank you to all of the contributors to this episode. That's Roman de Arcaire, Kian Savani, Alex Fitzpatrick, Paco Pollitt, Dom Tankup, and Benya Gutierrez. I've been your host, Ewan McTeer, and thanks to you two for listening and also to everyone following us on Twitter. We reached 10,000 followers this week and we're grateful for each and every one of those. If you aren't following us yet and want to join in the fun, then check us out at La Liga Lowdown. Lots of content being posted there and several more podcasts to come right here too before the end of the season. Until the next one, have a good weekend, everyone. Speak to you soon. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.